who has the best products? With more and more technology proliferating across the power sports industry and more options becoming standard equipment, how does one determine anymore what is the best bike for them? When you're calculating just how much of your monthly income to dedicate to your new ride, how do you choose? By brand reputation? By brand loyalty? Personal experience? Do you choose just by looks or perhaps features alone? Let's talk about who has the best selection of products on this episode of Creative Writing. Not again. Fourth time's a charm. Moto One Podcast Network. Welcome to Creative Writing, America's weird uncle of motorcycle podcasts. We're the big sounding podcast with the tiniest following. We're brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. For more details, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to your crazy, crazy show. Turn this off. Welcome to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, the internet's home for motorcycle mediocrity. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen go on to be an asshole. Oh, baby. I don't know, did it really? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. These new ki- new ways kit my. All right, a couple of blurbs, whatever they do with cocaine. I think we'll stop right there, junkie. Hello, everybody. Well, welcome to episode two hundred and thirty of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I'm your host, Junkie Turdman, and I am so disappointed to be here with you. Why is that? Not for you, but for me. Oh, I am sorry that this episode is coming out late. But it is uh, the day that it's supposed to be out. It's Sunday. This thing is pre-recorded, pre-noted a few days ago. And uh, technical difficulties. Wouldn't you know it? Whole episode erased. So here we go for try number three. Try number four of me for reading that thing. I had some epic outtakes and bloopers off the last one. Hopefully this one doesn't crash as well. <laughs> so this is all I have to record. So with that being said... Let's get into this week's show. Hey, everybody, the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast or those of the participants do not reflect the policy, position, or opinions of Creative Writing, the Moto One Podcast Network, or its affiliates. And any opinion is the respect of participants and is not intended to malign anyone, anything, or anywhere, even the pitcher of the Texas Rangers American baseball team. Yeah. And I don't know if you're a Texas Rangers fan, and they do have other teams in uh, of baseball teams, I'm sure Puerto Rico, Japan, and uh, Cuba, and other countries have baseball teams. So that's why I, I had to be specific. There may be another Texas Rangers out there somewhere. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 230 again. Um, how is everybody? I hope you're doing well. I am sweating and not only because I feel horrible that this episode is coming out virtually live I could it's uh it's almost eight o'clock on Sunday this thing should have been out in the airwaves about four hours ago but like I said technical difficulties things happened uh things got erased the problem now is that it's uh 7 30 Sunday evening 
you're probably not going to be listening to this until tomorrow if you're on the East Coast, or it's already tomorrow if you listen in another part of the globe. So I, I super apologize for the, the tardiness of this. This is only like our second weekend, our third weekend of being on Sundays, and we'd already messed it up. Moto One is not very happy with us. We are the... Um, one of the only podcasts left on the network right now, uh, due to the world uh, circumstances. So they we they have to like let us get away with it, but uh, they don't they don't like it by any means. Mm. I am sipping an ice hot. I just finished an ice hot can of sparkling water. It is like I said, seven thirty Sunday evening, and it's probably. 90 degrees right now. It's been really hot. We've been suffering through a heat wave here in SoCal. And actually, there's been a high heat advisory uh, all through the, like, southwest from Texas on up into Washington, I believe, um, which is not the southwest, the northwest, bro. Don't you know your geography? Yes, I know my, my geography. Um, from Texas to Canada, I believe there has been a, uh, a heat wave along this coast, along like the western edge of the Gulf Stream. Um, so to everybody here, please ride safe and stay cool if you can. Uh, there will be rolling blackouts, which is going to be awesome. Um, and uh, it's really hard to stay cool. And it's just been, I feel like, getting hotter and hotter the last few years. So I, I don't know what's going on. Global warming, not a real thing. No, maybe climate change for sure, real, because it, it wasn't like this a few years ago. Um, on the western, or on the eastern side of the Gulf Stream, uh, we've been having lots of flooding. I know Iowa was hit with a big old twister. I saw it on the news the other day, just how much was tore up uh, in in Iowa all over. It seemed like the whole state, like, like a tornado just came through and uh, decided Iowa was a target. Uh, so many counties, I don't even remember, but there was that going on. There's flooding going on. Um, <clears throat> so if you're in a flooding zone or a tornado uh, warning area or you're getting, um, you know, just seek shelter, stay safe, please protect the motorcycles. <laughs> we need them. Actually, maybe we need them all to get decimated so people buy new ones. But then you have other things to worry about, like your house and your family and getting that rebuilt. So maybe we don't want all that to happen. At anyways, at any rate, stay safe and please. Um, I know I'm making a joke here to keep the mood light, but I, I wish everybody, uh, please, be safe. I think in um, England and Scotland, maybe or somewhere in the UK, there was some crazy flooding as well. So they're getting hit with the uh, high waters there as well. So please, everybody, um, stay safe and ride safe. And if you're out riding or driving in this stuff, please. Don't go on a street that looks like a deep puddle because you never know. It could be, um, you know, this Loch Ness number two or something like that. It could be way deeper. I saw some pretty epic um, videos where these red cars, for some reason, red cars seem to be attracted to uh, deep, deep streets that they can't um, drive across. So at any rate, uh, everybody, inclement weather be damned. Stay safe. It is hot as hell. I just mentioned that a few minutes ago. I just finished some water, and it's pretty much boiling in the can. Uh, that's what I, A, get for drinking water out of an aluminum can, and B, I'm switching to coffee because it's so hot. Um, what's the difference? Um, it's, I'm already hot. It's not like I'm going to get any hotter. Mm. 
as I said, I started recording this earlier. Tobor has already had a meltdown. Tobor has malfunctioned once, so hopefully he doesn't malfunction again. This computer was pretty hot, but it's cooling down a little bit. You're going to hear some noises. You're going to hear an air conditioner in the background, probably. Um, one of my priorities is to rearrange the studio this week. No bike-related stuff, and I didn't go for a ride today that I posted on Instagram. If anybody was wondering, I was going to go on that ride, and like by 9 o'clock this morning, it was already, I don't know, like 85 degrees out, and I just I knew what that meant. And I'm, I was puffing earlier just sitting here getting ready to re-record this stupid show. So, uh, yeah. Panting, just sitting still, is pretty dang hot. So, yes, it's sweltering in here. Um, I'm glad nobody's with me but Tobor and poor Tobor. I feel terrible. He's melted down somewhat. Um, I did want to say this week's word of the week. Tobor, let me see if you can fire him up. Tobes, Tobes, are you there? All right. Bear with me while I get him fired up. We're going to be talking about uh, who has the best bikes. And normally I would... Um, I would have had this show all scripted out, but I'm, I've been super busy, so I'm kind of going off my head. I don't jail so feud. Hello? Oh, Tobor. Tobor's awake. Tobes. I don't jail so feud. Okay, buddy. You don't uh, yuke so lewd either. You don't, you don't look so good. So, Tobes, we're going to take it easy right now. You weren't even uh, powered on earlier. Excuse me. So, are you are you going to be okay? Can you push the buttons on the? I may have melted my pants a little. <laughs> okay, as long as you can push the uh, when you melt your pants, does it sound uh, like that's when a human melts their pants? All right, buddy. So listen, you can take it easy. I'll try to remember to run the board today, and um, yay. Okay, yeah, yay for sure. Um, let's do this. You, because yeah, you you don't look very good. You got a little. The spark in your eyes is not very bright tonight. So let's do the word of the week this week. Um, I'll let you say it, and uh, we'll get on with the sh- We'll get started with the show. We'll just jump right into it. The word of the week this week is on. Oh, my God. He just passed out. By the way, Tobor, you're <laughs> that was the most comic book. Tobor's out. He can't hear me. Yeah, <laughs> the word of the week is, uh, that was the most comic book. Um, reading of the word uh I've ever heard. Uh, but Tobor has passed out. So I will have to tell you the word of the week this week is telefartation. And that means <laughs> this word I made up. We, we have a word of the week page if you're new to this show. And um, normally we take your words of the week. We have a whole group over on Facebook where you can submit your word of the week and we'll try to use it on the show. Uh, if you've never listened to the show before, there is a consequence. And the consequence is we shoot a cat. And like I said, normally I pick your words. This week I'm using one of my words. Um, The reason we shoot a cat, you might ask, before I continue with this week's word of the week, because we had a co-host on here at one time named Chris Wiggins who did not like eating dog food or smelling the rotting contents of a secret pickle jar that we had or wearing a wig or talking like a pirate or doing anything fun that was a punishment for saying the word of the week. He thought saying the word of the week meant that we should all shout and scream and cheer like little school children that one of us said the word. I thought we should do something dastardly as a punishment for uh, saying the word. But since uh, he would not follow through with it ever and um, the show became quite boring, we had to institute shooting a cat. And so that's why we shoot a cat. And we had a neighbor who, uh, as a result of... um, 
I don't know, domestic overpopulation, had 40,000 cats. She's a very old lady that lives right behind me. And, of course, she has 18,000 cats and would consistently bring over baskets of kittens. Um, apparently, it's cheaper to give away uh, woven baskets than it is to spay and neuter your cats. And so to keep the uh, bird and insect population up in this area and the cat population down we would execute some cats in the name of conservation. And if you know anything about me, you know I'm a huge conservationist. So that's where the, the cat punishment comes from. This week's word, telefartation, uh, this comes from my kids and I have been watching the Marvel movies all summer since we've been locked down. And uh, we're kind of caught up on all the game. We finally finished Endgame. And I got to tell you, my son looks like an eight-year-old version of Fat Thor. <laughs> we started quarantine uh, with him being on the lean side, and now his wrinkles and folds have wrinkles and folds. So he took the fat Thor route, and now he feels he always calls himself Blubby Flubby. So this one's for you, Blubby Flubby. Telefartation. This would be my superpower. After watching all the Marvel movies, uh, and actually there's quite a few motorcycles in them, I have to, I have to add. Pretty stoked on that. Um, my secret power would be that I would be able to project my farts like a ventriloquist and the smell to other people in order to embarrass them and possibly distract others so that I could get in there and get the secret, you know, weapon or formula, whatever, whatever I needed to do as an agent of the uh, Marvel characters, you know, a shield agent or a um, uh, Avenger, you know. The inflatulator could be, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so telefartation, that is the word of the week. And the word of the week becomes official when the bell, it's official, the bell rang. So now it is official. And um, Tobor is, yeah, he's blacked out. The safety mode light blinks on him once every few seconds intermittently. So he's he's done. I knew he was done because he was uh, powered down. Uh, earlier when I was trying to get the show fired up. Everything in here was just overheated and too hot. So Tobor does run hot. Uh, I may need to instigate a um, save up and get some, what's it called, new monies for a, a new robot. By the way, I did want to say thank you to our executive producers before I got into this week's show. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to our chief technology and racing officer, uh, Chris Singsheim, that there of TPS Fab, uh, our executive news correspondent, Philip K., uh, executive producer, John H., and Chris W., also Danger D., Mr. Ray, Chad C., who is also our local uh, Sherpa in the wild, um, our chief technology officer, no, our chief uh, engine calibration officer, Narissa, um, executive producer, Jerry, our chief Japan correspondent and flat track uh, extraordinaire, uh, Matt from uh, My Motorbike Obsessions. Also check out his blog if you get a chance. Um, our field producer, ex a legendary field producer, Bri Viffer, um, and our chief stylist, up there in Canada, Lance Perry. And I think I used to call him Lance Pear. And I'm glad he never kicked my butt over it. Uh, all right. So those are our executive producers and some of our uh, chief executive positions. They are responsible for creative writing. Coming to you every week, we just paid our hosting. And uh, before, I, when I recorded this show, I ma ma made a big mention of that because they're the ones that are bringing this to you. But also... 
right now, I just got an email a few minutes ago that we've also paid our audio hosting. All of this through the generous contributions of our patrons. If you'd like to check out how to be a Patreon supporter, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing podcast. And or it might just be creative writing. I should probably double check that before I... Uh, okay, I, I say it every week on the show, and then now I can't remember it. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash creative writing. Uh, speaking of our patrons, I literally just put a video up on over there that we're going to talk about in a few seconds. So what did I do this week? What did you guys do this week? Please let me know. Um, oh, yeah, I just I mentioned this on our last show, and, I'm, and it bears mentioning today because it's just as hot. Uh, by last show, I mean the one that didn't just get eaten up by all the audio inf- inf- whatever, hardware, software, and everything in between. Um, it was, uh, well, it was like a hundred degrees here today and I'm looking out the garage door and, uh, I can see the fire up on the hill behind me. Um, it's burning up in Azusa Canyon, which I really love to ride. There's lots of rides that happen up there. Um, and wonderful recreation area that is, winds up in through the, um, uh, Angeles National Forest. And if you are familiar with Route 2, the Angeles Crest Highway, which a lot of people come from outer state to ride, and it connects the uh, west side of town with the uh, east side over going heading toward Las Vegas, you can ride it all the way across through the mountains into Wrightwood and all that great stuff. Uh, it is connected by uh, Highway uh, Azusa, <laughs> the Azusa Canyon Road. Um, actually connects it. And so I'm sure that Highway 2 is also shut down as well. This fire, I believe, is right in between the two. It's probably shutting down Mount Baldy and um, Wrightwood as well. I'm not sure how far into the Angeles forest it it is burning because it is a big, massive forest. But um, I just wanted to tell, along with uh, wishing people, you know, for the flooding and the heat indexes being as where they are and all this inclement weather, I want to tell the firefighters and uh, everybody involved in doing their part to keep those guys hydrated and going helicopters refueled, fire trucks refilled and all that great jazz. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I wouldn't want to be you out there in that heat. I t- it gives me that much more respect for what you guys are doing. If I'm sitting here pant- almost panting in a studio at 8 o'clock at night, uh, I can only imagine what you're doing and facing in the middle of the day up there in the middle of the wilderness, uh, miles away from any air conditioning or creature comforts, staring a fire in the face. Um, yeah, so all of our Cal firefighter firefighters... Um, you guys, I just respect you so much, and thank you so much for keeping our canyons open and uh, for the, for us that like to recreate up there. All right, everybody. So uh, this week, what did Junkmeister do? I want to know what you guys did too. Please leave us a message on our Facebook page or somewhere where you can post that everyone can see. Don't DM us on Instagram. Um, anyway, this week, what I did was I finished a little collab with my kid, and I posted it up on the Facebooks and Instagrams. Uh, we finished a little scooter together. I did most of it, by the way. <laughs> I, but uh, yeah, my daughter helped me uh, restore, re-overhaul. Let's just say we overhauled 
uh, Scooter. I'd like to say big shout out and big thanks to my friend, um, the man called Yeti on Instagram. Uh, he's the one that very first got me into uh, a repair shop when I was younger and got me exposed to all the ways to do this stuff. Well, I've never painted plastic before, and he's painted just about everything between here and Zathura. Um, and so he knows all about it and he's like, yeah, here's how you do plastic. I didn't do it a hundred percent how he said to, said to, cause I didn't have, I can't get scotch bright for some reason. And it seems to be because of COVID and, and not because of, uh, they're using scotch bright in the fight against COVID-19, but it seems to be a supply issue. So I just can't find scotch bright. I went to several different hardware stores, Harbor Freight, uh, uh, automotive stores and, like all the sanding stuff is down. It's either that or like the weird rush on baking goods a few months ago that happened here in my part of town. Um, the rush on woodworking stuff now that everyone's like, all right, I'm going to be on uh, uh, unemployment doing redoing my cabinets and making stuff on Etsy. So everybody's everybody's doing, you know, getting going out and getting stuff for, I don't know, woodworking and sanding and stuff. So for whatever the reason, I can't find Scotch Guard. So I could only do... Uh, a little bit of what he said, <clears throat> prep it the way that he told me. So it turned out kind of crummy on my end because the technique that I used wasn't what I should have used. And so I ended up redoing stuff a couple times where if I had the materials, I would have just done it correct the first uh, first time the first way. So I might make a little video of that. Uh, I took lots of footage of it and I'll stick that probably up on our Patreon first so they can see it and uh, criticize it and tell me what to fix before I release it to the public. Maybe that will never happen. Who knows? I'm going to be really busy coming up here pretty soon, uh, like tomorrow. Um, so anyway, we did. I did that little collab with my kid, and hopefully I'll have some at least picks for you up there, which is a reminder to check out our Cobra page. It was the Cove Bab, and it was the Creative Online... I don't even remember what Cove Bab started. It was a late-night idea. I had to get people, like, posting pictures of their bikes since you're pro probably not going to cars and coffee and bike shows and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, just uh, go check out Cobra. It's the creative online bikers, riders, and artists, and it's our online uh, community-guided art and bike show in response to uh, probably a lot of people not being able to get out this uh, spring and early summer to get out to any bike shows. If you uh, stayed away from Sturgis and haven't got to see any bikes, well, now's your chance to be the Sturgis, man. Be the change you want to want to see in the world. Be the cool bike posted up on Cobra. And I have a, I have a, it's open to art. <laughs> it's open to uh, your bike and it's open to any, any bike related stuff that you want to stick on there. So as long as it's a piece of art or uh, when you, a bike, maybe a picture of your bike that you drew or a bike that you want to stick up there and see people draw. I don't know, just whatever you want to put on there. Go to our uh, Facebook page and look up Cobra. Um, so yeah, that was something I did this, uh, this week and I'll probably put that scooter up on the Cobra page for everyone to check out and peruse. Uh, we already, you already heard the word of the week this week. It was, ah, just kidding. I'm not going to say it. Uh, but, um, if you want to add a word of our week, also check out that page. Uh, or that group, rather, on Facebook. Um, the other thing I did this week was I did a Junkin', junkin with Junkie vid, and uh, there's more to come on that. Um, but, yeah, I posted up for our patrons a little 15-minute video of me just walking them through the garbage that I collect and make stuff out of at my house. I'm really 
lately getting into upcycling, as they call it. Um, and so, yes, I might one day take that vid that I did for patrons and make it public, add some subtitles and stuff to it and a little, actually edit it a little bit better. Um, but in the meantime, only the patrons get to see it. Um, but yeah, I want to, uh, make a video for the spooky or, or that, that video is like a little hint of something that may be more to come in our upcoming Spooky Spokes episode. The reason I'm mentioning Spooky Spokes now is I know that it's hot as balls and it feels like uh, this year will never end, but guarantee it will, and it's coming to a quick close. Spooky Spokes is our annual Halloween, um, All Hallows Eve, Shawen, whatever you want to call it, um, the time of the year when the spirit world gets a little bit easier to penetrate and we got those spooky stories coming out. And uh, it's, t- it's a time when um, a lot of paranormal stuff gets uh, shown. And our Spooky Spokes episode is no different. If you have a scary story of a ride you did, we don't care when it was, as long as it was a crazy story, send it in. And I may make something based off of that Junkin' with Junkie video that I put on our Patreon page that may include, like, if you guys saw that little Casa de Cactus, that, uh, by the way, the Casa de Cactus was real dirt. When you guys saw that little base, what I did is I I poured, like, a ton of liquid glue all over the base, and then I spread it around and poured real dirt on it from my... uh, the Southern California desert sand from the side of my house uh, poured it all over the base. So that was real dirt on there. But uh, I want to showcase, make a little video of how you can take scraps that might be laying around your house, especially it would have been great for this year. Um, and it might still be great for this year because I don't know when things are going to go back to 100% normal. Um, but if you have some spare time and you really learned how to uh, take it easy and kind of like love yourself a little bit during this time of, uh, what's it called? Um, quarantine and lockdown. And you really got into something you like, I might be able to offer you a little fun craft that you can do out of the junk you have around your house, AKA, or, uh, that's why it's called junk with junkie. Um, so yeah, anyways, our spooky spokes winner may win like one of those little Casa de Cactus style houses, but it'll have a motorcycle garage or something attached to it. And also those little snow globe things I was showing you how to make out of those jars. I may make a little spooky scene out of that or something. But also I wanted to say uh, Spooky Spokes is going to be coming up at the end of October. We are mid-August right now. Mid-August. One month we will be mid-September. And then by mid-October is when I'll be asking for Spooky Spokes submissions to be finally sent in so we can edit the show. So we've literally got like August to September, September to October. We barely got two months, maybe two months and a week before a Spooky Spook episode is going to go live. So I'm going to try and get together some prizes this year. I'm going to do something. I'm going to try. I shouldn't say I'm going to. I'm going to try and do something different this year where I tell you ahead of time what prizes we will be offering so that people will be like, yeah, I don't want to just tell my, my ghost story to get a sticker and a freaking coffee mug from this dude. So last year's Spooky Spokes winners got a Ghost Biker Explorations hat. I think somebody got a Ghost Biker Exploration sticker. I think I did send out some coffee mugs, um, and I sent a ton of creative writing, <coughs> excuse me, creative writing stickers, and then um, a few other. I don't even remember what I put. I sometimes I just go crazy and put um, some random stuff that I have in there. You know, I might have put like some. Uh, uh, I might have put some cars in there for the uh, Pinewood Derby, hoping that Brady would have had it, not knowing that. 
COVID was going to happen <laughs> a few months later, right? So um, you never know what's going to be in your spooky spokes bag. The year before that, I, I made little cool hand, what I thought was cool, handbags. Uh, people seem to like them uh, with a little graphic on it of a zombie missing his hand, plus stickers and, and all sorts of little swag. So I usually try to find some cool stuff uh, to help you out at least. Um, this year, I may announce what you're going to get beforehand. So I've got myself two months to um, make these little deals that I'm going to do and then announce what prizes you're going to win to encourage people to do more this year. So we'll see how that goes. All right, so if you... Uh, and anyways, to get back to the whole reason I brought all that up, uh, the winner may may get, out of all the cool things I plan to get, we they may get a handmade gift from Junkie again this year. Um, so, oh, one thing that I was thinking of when I was putting that video together, by the way, is upcycling, right? And like I said, I have been getting more and more into like reuse and reusing and, and reducing my waste, trying to, and it's been really hard in quarantine where we're ordering everything online and we're ordering everything, even groceries, you know what I'm saying? At, at some point, um, been getting a lot of boxes, needless to say. And we had to order desks for the kids to, uh, to, uh, set up for school. Cause we're not teaching at school. And my wife's an educator. So she had to go order a bunch of stuff to get her home school classroom set up. So needless to say, we got a lot of cardboard laying around, a lot of boxes, a lot of food that we're going through, um, being stuck at the house all day. We all look like fat Thor's. Even my wife, she has a beard and blonde hair and you know, she looks like fat Thor right now. Um, so we're all going through, you know, tons and tons of boxes of stuff and we have all this waste laying around. So I made it my goal this year to make stuff out of our, uh, even, even if we did end up eventually recycling it, I made a point to use it for all sorts of great stuff. Um, I recently, I got into casting partially because of, uh, having a lot of spare, I wouldn't say spare time. I was busy. <laughs> this whole summer, but it allowed me to get into a, um, a new uh, hobby, sort of, I guess, in my spare, spare time. It didn't, doesn't take a whole lot of time or space to, to do, and so I got into casting. So I've been saving a bunch of stuff from styrofoam, uh, packaging, uh, food containers like old yogurt containers and oatmeal containers and stuff that, you could, that has a lid on it that you can use, flip it upside down, and it becomes the base. So there's all sorts of cool stuff that I will walk you guys through uh, on our Patreon page when I finally make that video of how to classically upcycle. But one of the things I was doing even before COVID was last year I was harvesting large pieces of cardboard. Um, one of the people that we interviewed, Mark uh, Degali, um, very early on in the show, he actually had a picture of his Aprilia Futura before it was coming to the Soma and all the cardboard that he had on that. And he would go out and buy big sheets of cardboard because you don't usually get like a mattress or something in the mail anymore that comes in like a huge cardboard sides or a refrigerator. Like it takes uh, crazy things to get big, useful pieces of cardboard anymore. So when I run across that stuff, I save it. Um, and so I had a couple huge pieces of cardboard that I've been using to make fairings for our Bosa Soku build, even though that has been uh, canceled now, um, that came in handy. And so it got me thinking after I did that video, um, all the, all the, I should probably just read out right off my Patreon page, what I put there, but I'm just going to tell you, um, even if it's a glass bottle, I was talking about some of the little cereal boxes that I was pulling out of my recycle bin to show what I use them for. Uh, it, it makes me appreciate 
upcycling even more and using the cardboard or whatever I use to make a make a mold for something, right? Or like make a make a backing for something. I've, I've used it to make um, missing side covers, broken side covers, number plates, uh, you name it. I've used it to make um, excuse me a buck out of or like a a, a plug f- to make a fiberglass mold out of, and. What really makes me feel good is that this bottle, this box, whatever it is, has already been through an industry. Like a cardboard box, for instance, has already been picked out from the trees, uh, turned from a tree into pulp. And even if it was recycled cardboard, the initial tree or plant-based thing, whatever it was, bamboo, tree, I don't know, whatever it was first was a raw material somewhere on the earth and it had to be taken and mashed up into pulp turned into a cardboard box so the company that logged it might have not been the company that sold it to the box company that pulped it and made it into a box you know what i'm saying those people might not be the same people that then print on it maybe they do print on it but somebody outside that company probably a design firm designs what's going to be on the box like cereal boxes food boxes whatever they are somebody at a design firm designs it and ships it and and, you know tells them hey this is what we want printed on our box so whether you're just making raw boxes or you're making them and printing pictures on them uh because i'm sure every cereal company does their own graphics maybe so even that, the copywriters, nutritionists that are responsible for writing all the words, nutritional stuff on the side of the box. So many people touch this little stupid cardboard box that you're just going to throw in the trash and you take for granted or you're going to burn in your burn pile. And it's like, wow, it makes me appreciate when I'm working with it. I'm going to try to be more mindful and present and be like, God, this thing has been through so many processes. I'm glad that I'm reusing it to make something because even though I might make a mold one time and throw it away or burn it at that point, um, it got used one more time. It didn't just straight go into the trash. It served a purpose and then it served another purpose. It wasn't just uh, you know, uh, a purpose and then scrap. So having said that, like uh, I'm, I'd be really stoked to make another video showing people what you can and can't do um, with cardboard boxes. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not a patron right now, I'm going to tell you um, – a few years ago, somebody won a Solstice Slam uh, episode, and I sent them a, a box made out of a, uh, a lamp, or a cigar box guitar made out of a cardboard lamp box from Japan. This cardboard was so thick, and the printing on it was so crazy, um, and it had Japanese writing, and it was some, I couldn't tell you what it was. It was just some, I know it was a lamp because I got the, got the box in it but i mean that thing was so robust that i was like dang this could be a, a wooden box and i made a cigar box out of it and it sounded cool so that's one way to use cardboard like i said i always use cardboard to make like fiberglass um molds and stuff out of because if you mess up you could toss it or you know cut it into little scraps and use it somewhere else um i've also been using it a lot to m- make molds of like crazy little toys and stuff for my kids so lots of lots of crazy stuff that we can get into um, I've just been blabbing now, so I'll quit blabbing so much. Let's take a quick break and actually get into this week's show and uh, get into some real motorcycle talking with the junk Flabooby Doobie Day. Hi, I'm Bill Foreman from Foreman's Power Sports. I love to sell used stuff and I'll make you a great deal. I love every single power sport here. And I'll, if you make fun of my voice, I'll kill you. I'll show you love, love between my fist and your eyeball. 
and the love that I have for punching you right in the face, Bill Foreman, Foreman's Power Sports, down here in Marshallville. Come on down, I'll make you a great deal you won't be able to refuse. All right, Bill Foreman's Power Sports. Got a secret you need to hide? Oh my gosh, Dad, does Mom know you have a new motorcycle? I'm so going to go tell her. Try Brainwipe. Brainwipe is a specially formulated powder you slip into someone's drink and they will never remember a thing. No longer will you have your nagging wife asking you to spend more time with her on the weekends instead of out riding with the boys. Ladies, no more oopsie, I forgot to buy groceries this week because I bought bike parts instead. And definitely no more of this bullshit. Mom, I'm gonna tell Dad you got a new motorcycle if you don't let me ride it. That's right, get Brainwipe at your local grocer. Brainwipe, solving life's motorcycle problems one at a time. And now, Brainwipe for kids. Brainwipe! Who said that? <laughs> Who said that indeed? Brainwipe for kids. Hey everybody, it is Junk Turdman. I am back. And uh, I'm ready to talk about some motorcycle news. If you're ready to talk about some motorcycle news, I really did want to... <laughs> look up something real quick on the news that I heard about, but, uh, uh, yeah. Whoa. looks like a lot of fun stuff happened. <laughs> so anyway, let's get into the news that I have written down and then we'll get into a side tangent. Uh, news, Indian, Indian motorcycle co may be getting ready to introduce a power plus powered traditional motorcycle, a power plus powered traditional motorcycle. Uh, patents shown in motorcycle cruiser magazine reveal what looks like a plan to replace the air cooled thunderstroke power plant with a more powerful and efficient power plus engine. Uh, the Indian Challenger entered the market, garnering positive accolades and rave reviews. And that thing features the Power Plus engine. It's their water-cooled engine, as opposed to the Thunderstroke pushrod power plant, uh, like most traditional American baggers have. And yes, Indian is from Minnesota, I believe, or uh, Chicago. I don't know. They're in Minnesota, I think so. So they are an American company, despite what you might think. Um why did I get off topic there? I don't know. Oh, because I missed my sentence. One area where it lacked uh, for more traditional riders, like boomers and batwing boys, <laughs> they didn't find the hot rod slash like victory-esque styling appealing. And if the patent drawings are any indication of what may be coming down the pipe, uh, Indian may be introducing a restyled platform with more power and better emissions for the Euro 5 markets meaning that the uh, the old grumpy American dudes that they were trying to steal from Harley-Davidson didn't like the, you know, victory octane, like, performance bagger look. Uh, they do want a more traditional chieftain slash dark horse slash batwing. That's why I say the batwing boy, because I think boomers and batwing boys are the only ones. It's kind of like when you saw a... Um, you know, if you were around during the 60s and you saw the Mustang change to what it changed to like in the 70s and then the 80s, oh God. And then, well, the 80s wasn't bad. Like the Fox body ones weren't bad, but then like the early 80s and late 80s, I think they were terrible. Uh, and then, you know, the 90s came in and they got all angular in the late 90s or early 2000s. So they went from that round weird shape to like a, sh like a shoe into a angular shoe in the 90s and to the or late 90s and 2000s. So you've seen a, a Mustang take all shapes and sizes and now they're basically an SUV. Um, 
so I'm sure that's the same way with the bagger guys. They don't like seeing baggers go from like, you know, road king style looking thing with just a windshield into like, you know, the bat wing fairing and then the road glide and then the old, uh, you know, they like the street glide style better. I bet you anything because the, uh, the Indian and the road glide have more of a, uh, well, the road glide looks like Bender from Futurama, but the Challenger looked hell of a lot like one of those new um, Ford front ends, like just crazy. Uh, but anyway, I think that's who they're n- turning off is the uh, the Batwing boys and boomers that like aren't ready for change yet. Don't want their Mustang to go from the uh, 63 and a half or 64 and a half to the SUV. Um, also revealed on Bennett's last year, actually, last May to be precise, as the Indian filed patents sometime in 2019 to introduce variable valve timing in their Thunderstroke motors in order to meet the Euro 5 regulations. So they're taking their air, their air-cooled uh, Thunderstrokes and throwing variable valve timing on them. Relatively easy to do. Uh, this is something that... Uh, Super common in the automotive industry. Um, and that's what they're doing to make those hit the Euro 5. So now the Power Plus makes way more sense, right? Um, speaking of variable valve timing, Euro 5 and giant bikes, Harley Davidson also made the magazines this week with drawings of its own variable valve timing system that would most likely fit into a totally redesigned engine as opposed to Indian's tactic of adding the technology to its ex- existing petroleum blender. Yeah, I thought that was a good word I made up there for uh, an engine. Um, Harley's patent, according to Bennett's, again, is most likely for the crank balancer, though, not the VVT system evacuate of actuation, which is pretty standard across most of the automotive industry. Um, and it kind of looked like exactly like the one that Indian had on theirs. Probably not even a Harley VVT. Um, they're probably outsourcing it like from Bosch or somebody. Um, If I'm seeing the drawings correctly too, by the way, the balancer would fit right under the cams um, instead of like uh, being a separate crank balancer on like its own shaft somewhere. The patented, uh, 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 even though, hmm, it it was hard to see. There was only numbers, so they weren't telling you what was what, but if the balancer is what I think it was, it fit right under the cams, which is a really interesting uh, way to actuate it and place to put it. Um, the outline on the Harley Davidson patent also looked like the fat Bob, which just got, and, and Bennett's cleverly pointed this out. The Milwaukee eight is relatively new, which by the way, I believe it showcased in 2016, uh, for the 2017 models. If my photo show photo, uh, my motor show photo album memory is correct. I can go back and look at the picture and see what date it was, but I'm pretty sure it was the 1617 IMS show where I first saw the Milwaukee 8 debuted and or debuted, if you like it, you say the debe, debutted. Um, so they've only recently made the transition across all the platforms with left hand sprockets, by the way, which that really only leaves the sporty um, as possibly the lineup most likely to get this new air-cooled V-twin. And I'm guessing anything is possible after the rewire slash hardwire debacle, right? So I thought the Sportster would be getting that new Revolution Max power plant that was water-cooled and it was going to go in the Pan America and the Bronx. But I guess that may not even be happening happening now with the the rewire and the hardwire. The hardwire. Uh, They're kind of going back. And actually, in the article about the VVT and why they're putting it on an air-cooled pushrod motor is because they have to be able to pass emissions, but they don't want to 
stray away from their core base, I believe is what the like wording was similar to in the article, which means that they're scared of scaring off dudes that want air cooled, uh, dick roasting baggers and bag roasting baggers for that, for that, uh, for that. (laughs) And anyways, uh, yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do, but, um, the revolution max stuff I was really excited about. So we'll see where things go. I just, I'm not hundred percent sure what's happening right now with Harley and Indian, except for the, apparently they're both getting VVT. Um, Brad Bender and KTM took their first MotoGP premier class win in the uh, Czech Republic. The South African racer was very confident in the bike right after the Hareth, according to an interview with the team boss which I can barely pronounce his name, but I'll try. So in this interview, Pitt Bure stated that uh, Paul Espargaro was also very passionate about the KTM project and also would have deserved the win at this weekend's round. Um, and according to Cycle World, Johan Zarco, it just said pre- prevented him from, I think it said like, had it not been for Ducati mounted contact or something. So Johan Zarco, I believe bumped into a Spargo, maybe they both crashed out, but he was doing really well. And apparently he was like in second or third and he could have delivered KTM there, uh, a one, two finish. Had he, had he, uh, moved up a position instead of, I guessing he crashed out or something. Um, so anyway, yeah, the article was really interesting. Um, and talking about how KTM and their, uh, rookie KTM rookies cup and the KTM, um, like the Moto2 champ and all, or Moto3, <laughs> and the, coupled with the Red Bull Rookies Cup, helped them farm racers. And finally, with with Brad Bender, who was part of that program, uh, they're kind of stoked to see him come up and now actually be riding the RC16 for KTM uh, because it proves that their program worked. And before they had a legit MotoGP team, they would develop and farm all these kids, and then they would just go nowhere because KTM didn't have a bike. Uh, Danny Pedrosa and uh, Paul Espargaro basically um, did all the testing on this bike and handed, according to the team boss, again, Pit Beret, I believe is his name, um, which sounds like my uncle trying to say Pitbull after uh, a few schlitzes. Pit Beret. Uh, he was given a, um, Brad Bender was given a rookie friendly bike because of all the extensive testing and input that, uh, Danny Pedrosa and Paul Spargo had did. And last in racing, Guy Martin popped up to race at Oliver's Mount this weekend. So it would have been today, uh, at the Barry Sheen Classic. And since this show is recorded before the event, however, now that it's got eaten and spit out by the, uh, software and this is live basically right now, it is not before the event but I'm not going to look it up. We won't know how he did until the next show. All right, I'll look it up in a minute. I'll try to type and talk at the same time. Uh, but anyway, Dean Harrison, Lee Johnston, Ian Locker, all TT winners plan on making uh, appearances. And Guy Barton, who we totally shit-talked before for never having won uh, a MotoGP, I'm sorry, an Isle of Man TT ever, uh, yet being the most famous of uh, the TT racers, um, he actually has done really well at Oliver's Mount at the cock of the North and the gold cup and all that stuff. And if you listen a few, uh, to our episode, I think like three or four weeks ago, we talked about him, uh, doing so well, not being very good at Isle of Man. It's when we did our 1980 episode with Brady, I think. So we talked about him not being very good at Isle of Man, but 
being very good at uh, Oliver's Mount. So here we have the results of this week's race. Are they up right now? Uh, so the very clean, very clean chassis, huh? One of, one of these days I'll learn to talk. The Barry Sheen Classic. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have the results up right now as far as I can see or as far as I'm willing to do with you guys sitting here listening to me look around for it. It still says book your tickets, so <laughs> it might be updated soon. Um, the last thing I wanted to look at here was Sturgis and see what sort of headlines were popping up because I heard some stuff. I heard that the town of Sturgis was pretty pissed off because it is a very strong uh it is a very strong uh, community up there, and it's a tiny town, right? And true that they need – this is their one time a year where they get people up there and they get uh, business to some of these places that depend on it. But from what else, from other things I heard is that the residents, being that it is a very tiny town, got uh, exposed to like 80,000 people. I don't even know how many people showed up. I'm trying to find that right now. But exposed to that many <laughs> – <laughs> that many people um, uh, exposed to coronavirus that are probably, you know, used to, like I said last week's show, it used to be gonorrhea, now it's gonorrhea. Uh, Sturgis rally ends with nearly 20,000 seized in arrests and five fatalities. Holy shit. Sounds like it went off this year. Oh, and I'm, pardon me for uh, cursing. Uh, yeah, nearly $20,000 was seized by authorities over the 2020 Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, along with seven vehicles, according to release from the South Dakota Department of Public Safety. This is coming from the Argus leader. Uh, authorities seized uh, 18000 over $18,000 over the seven-day rally, mostly due to drug arrests. <laughs> uh, four times as much as last year's rally, but it's four times as easy to spot the people there. And you probably needed to be on drugs to not feel so down about it this year. Um, and it says a few significant arrests le- uh, led to this year's uh, amount. Also, five people died in motorcycle crashes where only two people died last year. So, man, cray, DUI arrests, uh, 115. Um, District total, 145. Last year, 171. So uh, that seems down. Um, Drug arrests, 173. Last year, 213. So the numbers are definitely down, but not by much, by the amount of people that you think wouldn't have been there. So crazy. Uh, Seized cash this year. No, just in Sturgis was uh, 7,000. In Rapid City, it was 11,000. And district total, 18,000, where last year it was only (laughs) 4,000. So that was quite a jump. (laughs) So... G for creepers, but yeah, and there's a whole bunch of weird little stuff. You know, fights broke out here. Uh, people hooked up in the back alley here, spread COVID here. So uh, all I heard was that there were some people that were potentially not cool with it uh, since we thought by, you know, the end of August, COVID might have been out of the country. But uh, I don't think we'd done enough to do that yet. Uh, let's uh, take a quick, quick break. We'll get into the next segment, which I hope you're going to love. And this is the one that I should have been putting the most effort into, but uh, was unable to this this week. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more of your favorite podcast, or you can just stick around and listen to this one. Creative writing. Mm, what's that smell? 
They're at it again. The folks at RP Enterprises solving two world problems with one great solution. You got a hankering for some of Grandma's hush puppies? Sure you do. They're delicious. You love them. Well, how about solving world hunger and the pet overpopulation problem with one easy, simple, tasty solution? Fist Puppies from RP Enterprises. Never have to listen to a Sarah McLaughlin song again about it. Fist Puppies available only at Hetty's on Fourth Street. Creative writing is brought to you by Millman's Chocolate Chips. Millman's for long distance truckers and motorcyclists on a long road trip. Millman's features enriched cocaine and skink pheromones. Millman's, I killed a ninja. Millman's Chocolate Chips. And welcome back. And who doesn't love a Millman's chocolate chip? Now and then, I wish I had one of those. I wish they cool you down, actually. Uh, all right, everybody, this is our next segment. This one ties in to this week's show topic, as usual. And this one, uh, episode 230. Now, I didn't want to really give anything away, but I think the title or the number of this show is going to give a little bit of it away, whether or not you know what I'm talking about or not. And I hope you don't know what I'm talking about because that would make you a telepath like what's her face on the Marvel mis- movies that I've been watching with my kids. I almost said the Marvel mystery oils hey, on this week's show. We're going to talk about brands and we're going to talk about why do we like these brands? What is junkie again? Refer back to the beginning of the show where I say, this is my opinion and my opinion only. And since Tobor is pretty much dead in the water right now, and there's no other co-host here to argue with me, uh, this is going to be my opinion, but I'm going to tell you based on my knowledge of the power sports industry, which I work in, what are the best uh, vehicles? And we're going to talk about that, the best makes and best um, best brands, really, is what I'm going after here. I'm just trying to generalize it. I am going to mention a bunch of makes and models, and you might own one of these makes models. You may hate it. You may love it. You may be mad that I'm not going to mention your particular brand or make or model that you love, and there's going to be a reason for that. And I will start off this conversation with this caveat. I'm not going to talk about brands like Bimota. I'm not going to talk about brands like Husqvarna. I'm not going to talk about brands like Moto Guzzi. They just do not account for a large enough segment of the market, and they don't even show up to every single motorcycle show uh, that gets out. So I'm not going to talk about Ice Bear, Lifan, Janus, other motorcycle manufacturers either. (laughs) So there's a whole bunch I'm going to leave out. And you may think that that's unfair, but we can't make this uh, episode 10 hours long. And I'll quit tapping my ring on my handlebar so that you don't have to hear what sounds like a woodpecker with a metal beak who's, yeah. All right. So you may notice that I leave off quite a few, but I think we're going to cover the the major ones. And you may own a bike. If you own multiple bikes, you may own one by one of these brands. So obviously off the, uh, off the, um, list is also going to be like MB Agusta. You're going to hear me mention Aprilia, but there's a reason for that. And most of these bikes are extant, which means they are not used to be by what, what used to be the best brands, because that's not really going to guide someone. As you heard at the beginning of the show, I asked what, when you're getting ready to spend your income on a vehicle, what makes you decide which one to get? Is it your brand loyalty? Is your your past experiences? So you're not going to have past experiences on like a 1952 BSA, and they don't even make BSAs anymore anyway. 
Um, so I'm not going to talk about brands also like Benelli and also like, uh, that you may have had in the sixties and they still make bikes today and SSR stuff like that. We're going to stick to some major, major players and we're going to go from the bottom of the list up. <clears throat> so, and one of these people gets to be on the list twice. <laughs> Shut up. All right. I need some sweet music and Tobor is dead. So I need to, uh, I need to get with it here. What would Tobor put? Tobor actually made some of these songs. Oh my God. You can tell this sounds like robot music. God damn it, Tobor. All right. So what bikes are the best here on creative writing? All right. At the very, very, very bottom of the list are three wheeled bikes that don't even really count as motorcycles, but I feel like that's a dick move because I don't want to not be inclusive of any power sport maker that is supporting the power sports industry. So when you hear me mention some makers later, you may wonder why they ranked above other manufacturers, despite the fact that they only may have one type of bike. So uh, the first things first is the three wheelers. If you are a Can-Am, already you are on the bottom of my list, partially because you are as wide as a, as a Ford Festiva, at least the old ones from the 90s, and uh, or the late 80s. Um, you are Ford Fiesta. That's what they were, little Ford Fiesta. Yeah, little tiny things. Um, you are also unable to split lanes in California and almost anywhere else because you're too wide, even if you are permitted to split lanes in other countries. You can be ridden in the carpool lane legally because federally that is a... Uh, a vehicle code, a federal vehicle code, federal mo motor vehicle rule. I don't know what they call a federal law, but maybe just a law. So here in the States, you are allowed to ride in the carpool lane or, or high occupancy vehicle lane in a motorcycle. Um, but three wheelers, I still don't like them. Um, that includes Can-Ams, Urals. If you happen to own a Nipper and they still are making them, uh, so be it. And I'm not talking about a Triumph or BMW sidecar or even a Goldwing sidecar or anything like that. I'm talking about things that come from the factory that you can buy this year. So basically your alls, basically Can-Ams, and basically the Harley-Davidson uh, Tri-Glide and Freewheeler. Trikes suck, let's face it. Uh, not a motorcycle, but a motorcycle. And to make things worse, the last vehicle on this list is going to be the slingshot because <laughs> it has seats and a steering wheel. Again, I don't want to ostracize anybody in the power sports community because the slingshot is owned by Polaris who owns Indian and who ultimately owns victory. So the victory impulse, um, and we're, we're going to be getting into that a little bit, but also contributes to the payroll that Polaris gets and keeps, uh, motorcycles on the road. And that's what I'm all about here. This isn't about brand preference for me. This is about market saturation. So Ural, I could think we could fairly say that I could count the numbers of Urals registered in the United States on my hands and my feet. Uh, the number of tri-glides and freewheelers may be even uh, more than that, but at the same time, still, even if you see a thousand of them in one day, that is a tiny fraction of the motorcycle market. And Can-Ams, although yes, they are growing in popularity and I have seen a bunch of them around, still, it's one manufacturer and one product, the Can-Am, Spider, 
uh, or Riker or whatever you have. It's basically all the same three-wheel platform. There's no diversity. You can't, uh, you don't see any factory off-road kits. You don't see any dirt bikes from Can-Am anymore like you used to um, back in the day when they were like the leader in motocross for a while. So Can-Am is down to snowmobiles and snowmobiles with wheels. Uh, so that's that. And your all is the other one. Um, next on my list at the very bottom, uh, after the three wheeler, uh, three wheelers only again, Harley Davidson, you get to get listed again, partially because you make two, three, three wheelers in the free wheeler and the trike, tri glide, but you also only offer basically one type of motorcycle. Harley Davidson offers cruisers. Whether the cruisers have bags on them and they are touring cruisers or they're just a uh, big, uh, what's it called? Big, you know, street cruisers, kind of like the, uh, the Sportsters, you offer one sort of motorcycle. Now, it's true that the Sportster is a vast variation from the, uh, let's say, the FLHTK, the Ultra Limited you know, Electric Light Ultra Limited, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum of the same machine. Uh, you know, you can put bags on a Sportster. You can order a backrest kit for a Sportster. You, you can't order a Chop Tour luggage kit, but I'm sure people have done it and put them on Sportsters. Um, you can also take the bags off a bagger. Hell, it's called a um, Road Glide. <laughs> you can put them back on a bagger. It's called the Road Glide Ultra. You are multiple things redone a bajillion times with different colors on them. And to make a long story short, you offer nothing in the way of... Uh, a new rider. So let's talk about the, oh, but what about the street? So let's talk about the street. The street is anecdotally one of the bikes that people are pushed away from by, uh, you know, people, when I say anecdotally, I mean, that's, uh, per people's anecdotes and, uh, Harley Davidson dealers, uh, and people that have been on multiple podcasts have stated they went in looking for a street. They got pushed to a soft tail or a bagger or what have you. The street, admittedly and anecdotally, anecdotally, is Harley Davidson's race homologation bike that they have to have to race flat track. And like the XR750 that was never uh, street legal, only this one is. So they can claim it's a hooligan bike and other classes and all this and that. But it's also the bike that they need since they don't even have the 500s here in the States anymore to, for their rider courses. The power to weight ratio has to be certain that uh, they can have this in their rider courses. The size and seat height and all that makes a big difference. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, this is the one bike that Harley even doesn't want to own and it's water cooled and no Harley regular enthusiast likes it. If they call Sportsters girl bikes because they're 883s, what do you think they call the streets since they're 750s? Uh, you know what I'm saying? And then those guys that are on baggers, they like watching the flat track on the XG750, except for they hate to see them lose constantly. So I don't think they like that. So this is the one bike that kind of doesn't count in Harley's lineup. And we're gonna like kind of scratch it off. Is that fair? No, I don't think, yeah, I don't know. Ask somebody that owns the street if it's fair. Uh, and ask them how hard Harley promotes the streets and how many commercials you see a street in. Hell, I was at the gas station filling up today and I saw Aaron Guardado from uh, uh, Suicide Machine Company here in Long Beach on the gas station TV 
selling the chance to win a Harley Davidson, and I'm pretty sure that it was a street bob that he was on. Um, so anyway, this is uh, the street is not a motorcycle that they are pumping out to anybody. I've not seen them in any ad ads except for on the Harley Davidson website. They have a picture on there, and uh, yeah. So do they count? Not in my opinion. Harley makes. Uh, one style of bike and it's a cruiser even the live wire oh they have an electric vehicle yes but it's a cruiser had they gone to Pan America and even the Bronx they would have had a naked sport bike and an adventure bike slash dual sport they would have not been bottom on the list above three wheel vehicles but since we don't know where that all stands now with the rewire happening and the live wire and them going full auto reverse on everything in that project, we don't know if any of that's gonna be extant or even coming out or backburnered or trash. So only time will tell again what we see there, but that puts Harley Davidson at the bottom of our list. In second place, Polaris. Now, this is kind of hard because Polaris was tied for uh, third to last with this uh, person that I'm gonna put above them and just for one reason. So Polaris also, for the exact same reasons as Harley-Davidson, gets to be at the bottom of this list. Polaris basically makes cruisers, and they make bagger cruisers. They make the same thing as Harley. They make uh, Scout 60, which is like an 883, only I think it's 950, all the way up to their gigantic Thunderstroke 121 or whatever it is, and their Power Plus 151 fucking small block Chevy in your motorcycle. The only thing they have different is the FTR. And this is where Harley Davidson's Bronx would have made a big difference and tied them with Indian, or, uh, you know, Polaris. Let's say Polaris. Uh, because the FTR is a 1200 and it's not a cruiser, but it's not a dirt bike and it's not a scrambler. It's not none of that stuff. It's kind of like a street tracker. And so it does fit in the same realm as like the XSR 900 almost the MT-01 uh, I don't think that the power is that great and I don't think that the uh, uh, you know the speed and horsepower is as good as a Yamaha but I do think that it fits in with also like if you're going to compare it to a twin like a Ducati Monster like you know something like that naked sport bike so that's the only reason Polaris is above Harley Davidson they both make giant baggers the Polaris was saved by the fact that they have the FTR and everybody has gone goo goo gaga, goo goo gaga, goo goo gaga over the FTR and all the motor shows that I've seen. And they do look sexy in person. Um, so, Polaris also uh, is kind of tied with this next manufacturer, but right underneath them, because we're talking motorcycles, but Polaris as a brand also has ATV and side by sides in their portfolio. Right now in the United States and globally, the one market that has not slumped is off-road motorcycles and side-by-side -side sales. Those are actually climbing and have appeared to be COVID and Great Recession resistant. So Polaris has, for all the, the crap talking that you may do because you are Harley faithful, Polaris has actually leveraged really well in the motorcycle market space to not ever have the same sort of economic debacles that Harley-Davidson has had. Uh, you know, when they go to branch off in a different area and the the uh, customers 
base doesn't like it, and so it drives the company back to what they know and what they're comfortable with making. They're never, ever going to advance because they keep getting too scared to do it. Polaris, on the other hand, has all these different avenues. Hell, they even own the Slingshot brand, uh, which is the three-wheeled car that's getting marketed as a motorcycle so that it doesn't have to meet any safety standards. So Polaris is on this list because of their robust portfolio. And hell, they even own Victory still. and so they still own the name to Victory, the designs to Victory, and the Victory Impulse, which was the Bramo Impulse. So I think you can see where I'm going with this. Victory has the potential to also release an electric motorcycle, one that had a package on it that went 100 miles for 100 miles an hour, uh, or at 100 miles an hour, 400 miles. It was the uh, Impulse one plus 100 um, package that they had. And that was then. And that was uh, 2017 or 16, so five years ago. They've probably quietly been developing stuff and they're gonna bring it out like they did with the uh, uh, FTR 750 to racing. They're gonna wait till they have it perfected and then bring it out rather than promising something and rushing it out to the market like people think Harley Davidson did with the Livewire. Yeah, and they also make several e-car like the Gem and uh, they own uh, Norman, uh, Norman Grubson. Norman Grubson, that sounds like my neighbor's name. Uh, what are they? Uh, Grumman, I think, is the name of the, the company um, that does all the, uh, or is it Northrop? God dang. I wish, let me look on their website. Uh, commercial and government. Oh, Taylor Dunn. That's who they own. Taylor Dunn, who makes like little, uh, not golf carts, but they're like little cars. Like you would see baggage getting carried out to. Uh, at the airport, you know what I'm saying? Like little weird factory things like that. So they own vehicles that are being driven down around uh, coal mines and factories and uh, manufacturing plants to tow little dollies full of equipment around. So they got all that. Plus they got snow vehicles um, with Timber Sled and Polaris. So Timber Sled's basically a snow motorcycle. Uh, so yeah, and on the off-road vehicles, several of my family owns the Ranger and the Ace, and they also make an RZR, General, um, and Sportman. So they they have a full lineup of ATVs and side-by-sides, which we'll see coming up here in a little bit, makes a big difference when you're a brand trying to stay on top. So that's why Polaris comes above Harley-Davidson, not because their motorcycles are any better, but because they have one different type in their lineup, which we're gonna make a caveat for for the FTR that we're not making for the street. Because unlike the street, they are trying to sell FTRs, um, but also because they have this rich background being backed by the whole company of Polaris, and they're in markets that are growing right now. Right in front of Polaris, and like I said, this is a tie because these these people don't have as rich of a uh, portfolio or as deep of a market penetration, but they are around first. Pardon me. And they do serve the motorcycle community a little bit better. And that is Zero. Zero of all people I'm putting on here. So Zero has been making headlines year after year after year. Uh, They're not the cheapest bikes. And I didn't put Energica on here, even though Energica would have been a good one to have on here. Zero is made here in the United States. Zero has been around for a while. And um, started out as little tiny uh, electric motorcycles and has positioned themselves to be the number one electric motorcycle manufacturer in the United States. Uh, They have 
always had some sort of street bike, dual sport bike, and dirt bike, as far as I can remember, all the way going back uh, to the very beginning days, way back in like 2000, I think it was nine that I saw, uh, I saw them, and that's, you know, way before I saw Energica. Um, so I think they've been doing it for almost 20 years now. And right now the street bikes that they have on their website just today is the SRS, which is their sport bike, the SRF, which was that sweet naked bike that debuted a couple, uh, last year or the year before, just the regular SR, which is, has been around for quite a while. Um, it was like one of their original, um, sport bikes, the S, which was the S just a little bit. Um, it was a naked, naked sport street, like naked street bike that, uh, had a little bit less than the SR, I believe just in like kilowatts and all that stuff. And then the FXS, which Wiggins and I both rode, which is their supermoto. Um, now they also have dual sport bikes like the DSR, which I believe they've always had the DSR. Um, the DS, which again is just like a light lighter version of the DSR doesn't go as far doesn't have as much battery range and the FX which was their little Hoonigan uh, off-road bike and it was literally like their little street ninja it only got like 20 miles on a charge uh, but it was basically like a hooligan bike and the videos a long time ago of this thing had it like ripping through like the park going up and down the stairs doing wheelies in the city like this was the ultimate hooligan bike but now they have the dsr bf which is the uh, dsr which is all the bells and whistles black forest edition and it's got panniers and it basically looks like a um, royal enfield himalayan but it's electric and it's got yeah so it looks like one of the old cop bikes that zero has made and zero does make cop bikes too so there you go they're serving the public sector as well so this thing's got a top case and side panniers straight off of a bmw gsx uh, or i'm sorry r1200 gs but painted black this thing is all blacked out uh it's got some sweet fairings in the front it looks like it's got some you know kind of like a uh, dual, dual, you know, off, off-road and on-road tires a little bit, a little bit more hardcore than uh, most off-road bikes do. This thing looks like it's really legit to go off-road. Um, but yeah, you're also loaded up now with panniers. So, so to me, zero. Even though they don't have the market, uh, the attention that Indian has because they're not an American bagger, and they don't have the market penetration that Indian might even have, and they've been around a little bit longer. They are the only American-made electric vehicle manufacturer that is doing well, that actually has what they say they have on their website, and uh, that actually has me interested in getting an electric motorcycle. And so that's why I put them above Polaris. All right, next brand, and they should have probably gone, gone above this next brand, but the next brand we got is Royal Enfield. The only reason Royal Enfield's on here is because they're like zero but they are basically more affordable and they have just as many bike variations now they don't have a good dirt bike like zero does but like the fx is a really good uh dual sport the himalayan serves to be like a 450 uh segment of like adventure sporting so the 450 is trying to do what the klr 650 did which is bridge the gap between actual dirt bike and gigantic adventure bike like a Tiger or a Super Duke 1290 or a, um, you know, a 1250GS or anything like that. So the Himalayans trying to play, uh, you know, play that role, but in a small, 
uh, Indian made and Indian affordable bike. So Royal Enfield's got the 650 twins. They still do make the bullets. Uh, so don't forget that there's still the 350 and 500 CC singles and they are basically outside of the US, one of the largest uh, manufacturers in the world. They're like Harley Davidson of India and the population of India is like 48 times that of the United States and Canada and Mexico put together times 1292. I just made that number up. I think I just invented the number infinity. Uh, but yeah, so they still have all these, but the, the Royal Enfield's also been making uh, very, very, very loud noise. Uh, as soon as that um, interceptor came out and the 650 twin was a viable thing that people enjoyed, yeah, it's not a performance machine. It's like a Triumph light. It looks like a Triumph. It costs about a third of what a Triumph does. So there you go. Uh, but they still... You know, the only reason they're above zero is worldwide they dominate zero by leaps and bounds. But they're still right about mid-pack on our list just because they have less to offer than most of the other brands I'm about to mention. Uh, all right. Right above them is KTM. Now, KTM, they have... Uh, you know, the KTM started when I was younger. I remember KTM pretty much, I can only remember them being a dirt bike company. Um, and then now they have the RC390, which has propelled many people, Brad Bender included, into a MotoGP career and has been the cup bike for people to learn on for a long time. The RC390, I see plenty of them around town. Super Duke 690s, I see plenty of those. And actually, we have somebody that. Uh, one of our patrons had one for a long time, and the Dukes are just a beloved motorcycle by anyone that uh, knows KTM. And KTM, you bleed orange, just like Home Depot. Um, the RC16 is another, you know, they literally just won MotoGP this week, or I'm sorry, last week. Um, and it just proves that they are, they can be the king, of, they are like the number one at the, or they were, um, at the, uh, you know, the Erzberg Rodeo and all this, the World uh, Enduro, W-E-S-S, the World Enduro Super Series or something like that, uh, and the World of Extreme Enduro. KTM has always been them and Husky, one of the brands that um, they're pretty much the same company in a way. Well, I guess Husaberg and Husky were the same, but they're all like the same uh, family and they just dominate. Whether you got a Husky or a KTM, they are the bike of choice for like real going out there doing crazy stuff, people. They are, in my mind, a little bit less pretentious than the BMW R1200 GSs because I don't remember anybody winning Pike's Peak on an R1200 GS or even attempting it on the BMW, but KTM has proven that they can win Dakar. They have proven that they can win, um, uh, what's it called, Pike's Peak. And uh, in several different classes, the lights class on a 750 Duke or a 790 Duke, the heavyweight on a uh, Super Duke 1290, I believe it was. Um, so the Dukes and the, uh, you know, the execs, the E-rides, the free rides, all these KTMs, uh, they, they can dominate. And to prove that they can dominate from Dakar to MotoGP... Uh, just cements the fact that KTM has a very good bike range from street bike to adventure bike to dirt bike, and they're doing it right. And they may not even have the market such... I mean, KTM may be a boutique brand, but they still have three times or four times the amount of bike variation that Harley and Polaris have. So that's why they're on my list now. 
the next one is going to be Aprilia. Now, I probably maybe could have swapped Aprilia and KTM because KTM, when I think about it now, the variety of bikes that they have and the fact that you can start out as a kid riding in the dirt on a KTM, you can't really start out as a kid riding in Aprilia, nor should you probably. Now, the Aprilia did have a Dorso Duro, which I believe was Aprilia's Supermoto or Hypermoto. Um, I don't remember what how many CCs that was, but I want to say it was in the 900 range. Um, they are famous for their race bikes, uh, like the Tuono V4 that just won the very last Pikes Peak. Um, and they had bikes like the Shiver, I believe, and was the Aprilia, the Mana. Uh, I mean, they've had a basically a really good range of street bikes as well. But their penetration, uh, now that I think about it, maybe they should go behind KTM. Uh, oh, yeah, right here on my list, I have them KTM pointing uh, right above Aprilia just because the sheer, um, you know, number of varieties that KTM offers at a portion of the price of Aprilia. Now, Aprilia does have some pretty sweet bikes, a lot of race bikes, and uh, that's one thing that you'll notice is that they are a little bit more of a luxury brand. So actually, I'm going to move KTM up above Aprilia. Uh, so Aprilia, KTM, and then Ducati. And Ducati, for me, is almost like Harley-Davidson, but of Italy. So Ducati makes uh, one type of bike similar to how, how Harley-Davidson and Polaris do. They specialize in baggers. Ducati specializes in super sports that people can't afford. So the Super Leggera, the Panigale, the Desmo Sedici, you know, the 996, the 1098, or the 1099, the, uh, you know, all these crazy bikes uh, that Ducati makes. Very beautiful. <clears throat> very, um, very Ducatisti, I have to admit. But also... Unless they had the Scrambler, they would be in the exact same boat as Harley-Davidson. They'd be firing uh, CEOs left and right. They wouldn't know what to do with their lineup because they would specialize. I mean, the DFL, I've seen a few of those around here in California. I am not so sure outside of this fabulous year-round riding weather how well those do. So while I'm sure you might have also seen a Aprilia something or other or even a Bimota where you live, and I've seen them too, it's very rare. And um, once in a while, I'll see a um, what's his face? Uh, Jay LaRosa has a uh, what the MV Agusta. Uh, God, I wish I could remember what the superbike's called, but it's the one with like the crazy tail. <laughs> God, I wish I could remember what it is. It's the MV. Um, it's like the Brutale or something like that. And he bring he's brought that to the out to the track before at Brady's Classic Track Days. And I can tell you that that's like one of the only ones I've seen outside of a motorcycle show. All right. So they are not that common, similar to some of the Ducatis that you see, the Diavel being one of those. Not that common. I've seen a few. You're going to see a few of everything around here. Uh, what I see mostly nowadays are the Scramblers. And I've seen a few Hypers, but the Hyper Motard is a hyper too much Motard, in my opinion, uh, because it is built like a supermoto, but it's got like 4,000 horsepower. And dirt, no matter how many horsepowers you have, only has between like 40 and 70 that it can handle. So uh, too much horsepower, not enough dirt traction can leave anybody on the ground. The thing is, I really love the Monsters. I love the Scramblers, and so do Hipsters, and that's basically what's keeping Ducati afloat. Um, you know, that's why they're coming in above Harley and Indian and these other guys, because they do have a, 
okay offering. If it wasn't for the Scrambler, I would have put them even below KTM because the uh, difference of type of bikes that they offer would be hardly any. You know, you could have a lot of sport bikes and then a Diavel. And maybe if you consider the Hyper and the Street Fighter, like, what are those? Those are just sport bikes with different handlebars on them, basically. So, uh, yeah, if you're really looking for something different, the Scrambler is technically way different than uh, any of the other bikes where the Street Fighter is just maybe like a Pentagalli with no fairings on it, you know what I'm saying? So Ducati got lucky that they have the Monster lineup and the Scrambler lineup, or else they would have been probably behind Aprilia and KTM. Next on my list is BMW, and this calls for some change in music. Now, BMW may be asking, wow, they're they're still down here, and we have uh, four or five to go. So I guess I should also power through this so that we don't get done with this uh, podcast next week. Uh, BMW, they do an excellent job at the K1600 baggers, and we're going to go backwards a little bit on BMW um, because they have been doing off-road bikes, the R80 and the R100, I believe, GS bikes. I think they just celebrated 30 years of GS, which means that in the 90s, or maybe it's 40 years, and in the 80s, they had uh, GS bikes, um, which stands for Galanda Strass, which is uh, dirt and street, and that means it's a dual sport. And so before the popularity of the uh, R1100, which became the R1150, 1200, now 1250 GS, and all the F800 and F750s and all that GSs that we have as well, they at one time made a supermoto that was a four... 50, I believe they had they had a 450 bike. I want to say maybe it was uh, a motocross bike. Maybe there's their um, their X moto or whatever it was called that was their supermoto was a um, maybe it was a 650. So BMW is one of those companies that has really never gone below 650. And now you may say, but they have the G310R and the G310GS. Yes, but that was their partnership with TVS that really only came out very, very recently when they realized that everybody else had a smaller bike but them. Even Suzuki had a smaller bike, but they didn't. Uh, So BMW to stay in the game and differentiate themselves from the likes of, say, Ducati and Triumph had to make a smaller motorcycle. So they did it with partnering with an Indian company named TVS. They rebadged basically the TVS Apache motor and uh, styled it with BMW in mind and thus the G310R. But BMW is basically known for their R1200GS, which is the flagship. They are also in competition with Harley-Davidson, Indian, and Honda, and Kawasaki in the bagger market. Now, I'm leaving Yamaha and Suzuki out of that, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But the K1600 baggers are uh, basically right in price line with what you would consider like one of the Harley Davidson high enders, like starting at like 28 or 30 and going up to, you know, your uncle can't afford it anymore uh, for his cheap mistress. And that's because the K1600 GTL exclusive, the K1600 GT and the K1600 Grand American or bagger G1600B Grand America, whatever the hell they call it, all offer you some level of Goldwingian slash Electroglide uh, limited uh, trim. All right. So those, there's no doubt there. So that's, they're in competition there. So that kind of washes each other out because that doesn't differentiate from anybody else. The R1200GS pretty much competes with what would have been the Pan American from Harley, but does uh, translate over to the Triumph Tigers and the KTM uh, 1290 Super Duke and 
uh, Honda's Africa Twin, even though it's not quite as big as that. But Honda did have the X uh, VRF 1200X, which was a, um, a VFR. 12, uh, it was a VFR motor in a 1200 um, that came out at the same year as the Africa Twin. Only stuck around for two years because it was an Africa Twin with prettier less pretty paint job and now people it's like hey we want more power out of the africa twin so they're gonna instead of <laughs> keeping the uh vfr 1200x around they're gonna like up the motor on the africa twin they're gonna basically re release that bike in africa twin colors and just call it africa twin it's probably what they're gonna do but honda had one of those too so the k r 1200gs kind of also washes out with other brands now where they do shine is the r9t um, they have taken this and done what Ducati has done with the Scrambler, played on their heritage. And there's so many different R9Ts now. Some of them have already come and gone. The R9T was the original. The very next year was the R9T Scrambler. That one still might be around. But BMW even knew what was going on with the Scrambler, where Harley has even missed out on this craze. Um, they have... Uh, caught onto it and their GS line they have the the Turbangs which is the R9T Urban GS that one may already be gone uh, out of the lineup the Racer which looked like an old cafe racer that may already be out but BMW has had these uh, R9Ts take over what was like a cool boxer cup replica the old R1200R um, street you know street roadster basically is, is uh, what it was has been replaced um, but that used to look more like a Ducati Monster than the newer one now does. They brought back the F800 to make it the F900R. So BMW itself has everything but dirt bikes, which is where it fails for me. They have something to compete with Harley. They have something to compete with Yamaha and Honda, the naked bikes. Uh, they even have stuff to compete with KTM and um, KTM and uh, Triumph in the adventure bike section. Uh, they have something to compete with at MotoGP even though they don't race in MotoGP uh, with the uh, S1000RR and that thing wins enough races and Isle of Man stuff. So they got some, they got everything covered and they do scooters, which is why BMW is above Ducati for me, um, but right below Triumph. All right, Triumph. Now, maybe Triumph and BMW, they're right around the same tier as each other because Triumph also doesn't have a big bagger, but they do sort of. Um, they have the Rocket 3, which is the largest displacement motorcycle. When you think of Triumph, sure, if you're an ADV person, you may think of the, uh, the Tiger or you may think of the um, Scrambler. But if you're a road guy, you think of what's the biggest goddamn motorcycle you can buy right now out of a showroom. It is the Rocket 3. And no, you can buy a Boss Haas and a Turbo Cat, which has a 454 Chevy shoved in a motorcycle frame, but those aren't out of a factory showroom. Those are out of like a shop somewhere, a one-off shop. So this is actually a, uh, a factory. They have the Tiger, the Bonnevilles, which were the original Scramblers. And I know Ducati Scrambler, um, Honda actually had Scramblers back in the 60s too, but they're not, they're one of the few brands not going off of this heritage. Really weird. Um, but Triumph had these uh, Bonneville Scrambler kits around for decades. And it's like, we don't want to um, make a bike called the Scrambler. This is me talking now, not Triumph. We don't want to make a bike called the Scrambler because it'll be admitting that we're behind the Scrambler craze. Although we've had a Scrambler forever since we've had Bonnevilles um, and like the T100s and stuff like that. So 
It's weird that they had to go and make a bike called the Scrambler after being one of the few brands to actually offer a Scrambler for years and years and years. So uh, it just came as a kit and it wasn't a model. So then they're like, all right. And they had to swallow the pill and get behind Ducati and um, uh, BMW and all these other brands that are like branding their stuff as Scrambler and say, all right, well, here's the Triumph Scrambler. Even though we were first here, we got to get back in line. So... Um, people also forget that on top of having the world's largest displacement factory motorcycle, that they have a brave, brave line of uh, ADV bikes, the Tigers. I believe Triumph um, Triumph Tiger was the very first ADV bike I saw doing pretty amazing things. And they actually turned down Charlie and Ewan for the Long Way series, and that's why they ended up on BMWs. They they proposition triumph first and triumphs there's a lot of people out there doing some crazy stuff on them that you can't do on a lot of other adv bikes um uh, go from that you know you see yourself out at moab in utah or maybe out at uh, uluru in uh, australia switch over to a MotoGP track because they also make the uh, daytona 765 is the official bike of moto 2 and daytona the Triumph Daytona, the uh, Speed Triple, and the Street Triple, very, very potent track weapons. Um, so you can go from the deserts uh, of, you know, some desolated area to a MotoGP track, and Triumph fits all these bills. Plus, they have the original uh, Bonneville, which still looks like it did back in the 50s. So Triumph has very good saturation. They are right behind BMW, uh, or right in front of BMW for me, because they do have, I think they still have the Triumph Thunderbird and they, they still have some like cruiser bikes. So Triumph has one of everything the BMW has. They don't have a small displacement bike, so maybe I should consider bumping BMW above Triumph. And they've never had off-road bikes like BMW did. BMW had the X-Country, the X-Moto. They basically had like four or five bikes that were based on this one frame that was an, like a supermoto frame uh, back in the early 2000s, I want to say, or late late 90s, early 2000s. So Triumph and BMW, eh, you, they can fight it out on right there let's move on to the next ones and let's try to get we're an hour and a half in let's try to uh power through these next few so next on my list is suzuki and suzuki is the smallest of the japanese makers uh suzuki sells mm, i think even less than indian but they sell more than bmw they sell more than ducati uh they sell more than probably ktm and husqvarna and, uh, you know, Moto Guzzi, there's a, an Aprilia. So Suzuki is the biggest of the small, I guess is what I'm saying. So that's why I left a lot of people off these lists. But I'm going to throw Suzuki on here because how can you uh, say Suzuki without thinking of their whole RM line? And Suzuki famously was very, very good at motocross there for a few years. Um, I think Kawasaki is kind of dominating right now with um, Eli Tomac, but uh, Suzuki was the hot ticket there for a while. Also, Suzuki, uh, this is where my um, list is going to start diversifying here. And Polaris started us on this. So Suzuki, Suzuki has the RMs, which are fantastic, fantastic uh, motocross bikes. And a lot of people have really good career in motocross racing on um, a Suzuki. Suzuki also has the sport heritage with the Katana. 
And that harkens back to the 80s and 90s uh, sport bike beginnings that the Ninja can also go back to. So Suzuki, Kawasaki, uh, you know, competing where, where Honda and Yamaha, yeah, they had stuff, but it wasn't as cool as the Katana or the Ninja. Um, Suzuki also has uh, scooters, which is going to be a big point for me because that's going to be one more part of the two-wheeled market that nobody has. And when, when I say that the market was unaffected, the off-road market was unaffected by uh, the COVID and the recession, as was the side-by-side and quad, that means that Suzuki joins Polaris in, although they're not the biggest, they have a robust uh, portfolio that they can draw from and even if they're not at the top of the podium in any country um, they will be basically uh, you know pretty safe as long as they keep these segments open that are that are growing and as part of as long as legislation and motorcycling continues to be a thing off-road Suzuki has potential because one of the other bikes that they have that's super famous right now is the V-Strom. Now, the V-Strom has gone through several different iterations and has been people's favorite cult bikes, similar to another Suzuki called the SV650. They're also bringing back some of their heritage with the Van Van, and there's a cute little bike that they have that they don't I haven't had for like two years, partially because of emissions, but it was the TU250X. It looked like a little cafe racer. They also had a little GWZ or GW250F or something that was like a tiny little sport bike, like a ninja sort of thing. Not very powerful, but um, still gave you some options to ride in the smaller bike, smaller displacement category. So that's why Suzuki is above everybody else that I've mentioned so far. They have dirt bikes. They have quads, they have scooters, and they have everything in between from small street and dirt bikes to get people started, all the way up to their big boulevard cruisers, which compete with, uh, you know, like Road Kings and stuff like that from Harley and some of the uh, Iron Horses and stuff like that from, or the Dark Horse rather, the Chieftains from Indian, and compete with other brands like Kawasaki, who has the Vulcans that are like a mix of what I would consider like Goldwing and BMW and then cross over into the traditional looking cruisers like the Boulevards and the, uh, you know, more like the Harley Indian stuff. So Suzuki kind of bridges that gap. They got the Savages, which Raika has a really cool kit for and is another cult bike. So Suzuki is just one of these cult bike uh, brands where they, they do really well. Rocco Landers, who Nokomoto couldn't quit talking about, he's actually doing really well in Moto America this year. Um, and they've always been a really good bike when, uh, you know, Roger Hayden and Tony Elias were on them, uh, they were winning left and right. So they are one of those quiet, but powerful brands. I know they get a lot of guff for bold new graphics, but when you find something that works, it works and you keep it around forever. Um, also who could imagine Suzuki? I know I already mentioned the Hayabusa. I hope I did, but who could forget the GSX-R, which was one of the very first and still favorite uh, sport bikes of many, many people. Guy Martin and Chris Singsheim included, uh, loving the GSX-R uh, lineage and potential. Um, also, the, uh, the Bandit is another favorite coming out of Suzuki, and they had some pretty sweet two-strokes back in the day um, as well. And like I said, with their robust quad and scooter and off-road um, bikes like the new the new uh, V-Stroms, you can't go wrong. So Suzuki, yeah for you. 
Next on our list is Yamaha, and this is a bike I forgot to put on the trikes, is the Nikon. So Yamaha, although Yamaha seems like one of those brands that wouldn't pull some crazy stuff, stunt like this, Yamaha introduced the Nikon, which is the first Piaggio, who I also didn't list on this list, uh, but it is the um, first leaning motorcycle besides the MP3 from Piaggio and then some other one-off patents. This is the first two-market leaning motorcycle that I can think of within at least the last 10 years. Maybe there was some before that. I can't think of any actually besides this one, but I'm just hedging my uh, bets, covering my butt here. So they bring out the Nikon and not only do they double down on it by making the, the Nikon GT, but they didn't discontinue it yet, which means that as much as Harley can sell the Tri-Glide and the Freewheeler, Yamaha can sell the Nikon. Piaggio's MP3 is probably doing well enough for them to say, hey, let's just keep this thing out there and throw some accessories at it and make people want to ride. If people are willing to get on the Can-Am Spider, the next step is a Nikon and then to a full-blown motorcycle or all three, and we can bolster the power sports community um, and, you know, have taught a person to ride. So not only that, so the R1 is another famous, famous Yamaha. Uh, Yamaha's almost synonymous with the R1. If you go back in time to the XS, the Seikas, the um, the Seika Turbo, the, uh, what's it called? The VMAX has been around for a time in Moriam and Yamaha's lineup and it still proves to be one of the most potent power cruisers. And it's been riddled with tech all the way from the X-Up valves to the cross boost and all that crazy stuff. Uh, Yamaha has taken the... Uh, IMU that Goldwing introduced, and I, I was Goldwing, that BMW introduced, and I forgot to mention that on the S1000RR for BMW, that they do have a lot of, um, they do have a lot of tech on them. But does that make them great? Well, we'll talk, we'll see. We'll get to that in a little bit. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do the tech on these bikes in a different episode, because it's going to take us too long. Uh, but it definitely begs the question on how do you decide what to buy? Is it based on all these cool models or the features? Um, so anyway, let's wrap up Yamaha. You can't you can't say Yamaha without mentioning also the FZ lineup. The FZ was the hottest thing uh, until they started calling it the MT, and it's still the hottest thing. But I I don't know one person that didn't besides myself that didn't have a FZ09 um, or an or FJ09. Uh, those triples from Yamaha are just killer, better than the uh, or equal to the Triumph triples in my my opinion. Um, the XSR Heritage lineup that they have right now, the 750 and the 900, harkens back, and it reminds me sort of like my SCR 950 does of an old scrambler. Um, they've also embraced many things. Yamaha also kicking booty on the, uh, like we're talking all right about street bikes here, the Virago, the VMAX, uh, the former V-Star line, which that's a whole nother topic that disappeared in 2014 when they rolled it into Yamaha. They were sick of competing with, uh, like having a Lexus and Toyota or Nissan and Infiniti, which are basically the same companies with like a spin-off brand. They're like, this is too much effort. We're never going to win the Cruiser Wars against Harley. So let's fold it in. But they used to have the Striker, the um, Raider. They had uh, a whole bunch of different crazy stuff. The Bolt started, was one of the last bikes to come out of that. Um, and they used to even have a little tiny V-Star 250. They actually do have the Star Eluder and the Star Evader or something like that. I forget what they call their big giant cruisers. But uh, they go from that to com like uh, competing with Harley-Davidson and the air-cooled 
uh, cruiser market to having the uh, the FJ 1300, which is an amazing sport touring bike that competes with the Concourse and the ZX14. So Yamaha also having the WR250 and WR450, which is some of the most acclaimed supermotos, also having some of the best uh, dirt bikes out there, and also inventing that app that lets you program your ECU per track and also send it to your friends. So get into the connectivity game real quick. And if you've seen the video I posted up about the guy doing all that crazy stuff on the Super 10, or the not the Super 10, the Tenere 700, you'll see that Yamaha's stuff, whether it's a 450 or 700, can do some pretty amazing stuff. Also, I believe uh, Yamaha has won that car before. Um, and has a very, very rich lineup of scooters. So from dirt bike to scooter to cruiser, their ATV lineup is also crazy with the Grizzlies and the Kodiaks and all that stuff. And then they got the one of the best sport uh, side-by-sides ever. And I think they have the Wolverine UTV. So Yamaha, uh, also one of those brands that you need to look out for because they're never going to suffer the fate of like a Harley Davidson or Ducati or any of these brands that are trying to focus in on one type of bike. They've got it all covered and they've got the side-by-side and off-road market covered, which you don't need a driver license to drive those. Uh, You can drive them off-road. You can take them to a, a OHV park and not have to do anything but have them tagged. And so that is why that segment is doing so good. None of the BS of having to be regulated to ride on the street. Uh, next on our list is Honda. So Honda, of course, also with scooters, also with some ATVs like the Rancher and the Rincon and the Rubicon. Uh, they are, Honda's been around forever. Um, one of the best. Hell, they have Mark Marquez right now on the RC213V, but in the 80s, they were also motocross masters. Uh, Super Bikers was dominated a lot by Hondas. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the 80s motocross was, and dirt bike, like Baja racing in general, was dominated by uh, Honda, even though they never really had factory race teams. Um, World Superbike, uh, not so much now, but at one point, Honda had a pretty good uh, handle on that. Back in the 80s, they had a they took flat track by storm. They have legendary bikes, like the Goldwing, which are still like crazy you know, you look at a Goldwing today and you just can't believe how much technology, airbags on it for Pete's sake. Um, the first DCT and now, uh, quads are even getting DCT on them and, uh, their stuff is trickling down into all their lineups. So Yamaha, I mean, sorry, not Yamaha, Honda really pushing the, uh, you know, this DCT thing across their whole lineup. And I'm, I haven't looked that much into the talents because they just got released last year, but they may have DCTs in them for all I know. Honda, the kings of taking a technology and making it work and not being afraid to try it out. Need I say the DN01 or the Red Shark, the NM4 or the Red Computerized Shark, I'm sorry, the Black Computerized Shark or the Voltus, um, and also the original VFR 1200 uh, D, I think it was, that had the first DCT in it, and it just looked like a, you know, VFR sport touring bike. They also have the NC700, the CTX700, etc., that all has dual-clutch transmissions, and, um, yeah, it's kind of prolifer- proliferated down to their, uh, not only their big bikes, but into their little bikes, whether they're off-road or cruiser. Uh, 
Honda, the CBs, the CBXs, the CB Heritage, like the CB1100, really plays into stuff that I really like, which is why I like the Yamaha XSR lineup. Um, I like the Suzuki. You know, they don't really have Heritage bikes, but the Katana came back, so that's their Heritage bike, I guess, aside from their cruisers. But they do a good job of it, but they are still not on top. And why is that? Even though Honda is really good and really reliable, except for their CBR gearbox problems that they had a couple uh, years ago, they're not on top. On the top of my list, and not only because this is episode 230, and they came out with the bike last year called the uh, KLX 230, but Kawasaki... Kawasaki is on top of my list of this week's who has the best bikes because Kawasaki also has every single thing that every other manufacturer has had that I've said so far. They have huge baggers in the Vulcan Voyager and the Vulcan Vaquero, and those actually bridge the gap between old school styling and new school hot rodery, and they are beautiful bikes. I saw one in person one time. Uh, I rode up to get lunch to Crystal Lake, and I was the only bike up there except for this... uh, Kawasaki Voyager that came pulling in and I was like wow I never really appreciate looking at those bikes how beautiful they were until I saw one in the wild you know I see see them all the time um, taken apart and this and that but to see one out in the wild uh, it was really a beautiful thing to behold Um, all the way down to the Ninja now Kawasaki pioneered the small sport bike thing with the original Ninja in 1983 they've only gone uh, better since then and they have a small bike you know the Ninja is now back up to 400s from 250s a few years ago but you're not going to get the same power with the 250 and still meet emission standards so they got to go up a little somewhere Um, so the Kawasaki, they got the off-roads with the Versuses. They have the Sport Touring with the Concourse and the ZX-14. The whole Ninja lineup, need I say more? Like, everything from their street versions, like the Ninja Ninja 650 and the Ninja uh, 6000. (laughs) Yeah, the Ninja 6000. The Ninja 400, 650, and 1000. All the way to their race versions, uh, like the ZX-600 and the ZX-1000. And the ZX-14. So they have race versions, basically, of all of their street versions uh, that are just a little bit different. And they've taken race... uh, Like, Jonathan Ray is one of the winningest um, superbike riders ever. And uh, when you see him race, it makes... You know, you you see a whoa. Uh, So, yeah, their sport versions versus their super sports, you know, they get different styling, different arrow, a little bit different than, like, the Ninja 650 and the ZX-6R. Highly different bikes, even though the names sound the same and the power plants seem like they'd be the same. Uh, then you move to the Hypersport, like the H2. And would you believe that it was the H2 was uh, a crazy two-stroke that was killing people back in the 70s. The new H2 was one of the fastest production bikes. Uh, I forgot who rode it across the bridge, but it was a MotoGP guy a few years ago in the Czech Republic, I believe. I think it was a Czech rider. And, uh, God, I wish I could remember who it was. Broke the 300 miles an hour mark, I think, on it. Uh, so, anyway, 300 miles an hour. That sounds really fast. Uh, it might have not been 300. It might have been just 300 kilos an hour. But it was, like, you know, really, really, really high up there. Um, super fast. And, uh, yeah, the thing is just amazing. And then to know that they have, like, the H2 and the H2R and the Carbon Edition... And then they've made a street edition called the H2SX and the SE Plus. Now, 
that tells you something there. And when you start looking at this thing and you realize that they've taken their crazy, um, you know, supercharged technology that made headlines years ago and they put it into a streetable bike that you can actually ride around and it has some crazy stuff like cornering lights, uh, cruise control, corner management function. They talked about how the um, IMU, which BMW introduced back in 2008 uh, on their S1000RR, has only got better in the last 12 years. And Kawasaki's predicts what's going to happen. It has a whole parameter of ranges of what can happen. Uh, and on the H2, it'll predict what's going to happen as it sees you going toward the pinnacle here. Like it sees you going toward the limit. It'll predict that you're going to keep going if you don't, if it doesn't see a, a move in the other direction. And it'll predictively help you uh, keep the bike upright and not crash. And that's happening in milliseconds. Um, so it's got integrated riding modes, which lets you not only select power, but also do what I just said by predicting uh, what type of traction control you're going to need. Um, it's got smartphone connectivity, three different power modes, depending on how you feel on riding that day. Uh, of course, it's got KIBS, which is the, is the intelligent analog braking system, uh, and, and link brakes, everything that we've ever talked about on uh, Kawasaki or on, on other manufacturers, Kawasaki has it. And they even have a launch control. And uh, just like I believe, just like Suzuki has the low idle management control on their uh, the V-Strom so that you don't stall it, they have assist and slipper clutch and launch control mode on the Kawasaki H2 so that you don't do the same thing. And they've taken the H2 technology and wrapped it up in this beautiful Ninja uh body you know throwing some cornering lights and all sorts of crazy uh i believe electronic suspension on this thing so i think that's what the se plus alludes to is it's got electronically controlled suspension and all that jazz everything you would expect from bmw but in the kawasaki sport bike so not only that they have the z125 pro the whole z lineup and to add to that uh what i loved about yamaha and honda having the cb 1100 and the xsrs well Kawasaki has the R, uh, the Z series, so they have a Z900 uh, naked bike, but they also have a Z900 RS that looks a hell of a lot like uh, one of their old retro sports. So RS stands for. And when I was at a bike meet, somebody was like, "Oh, look, it's an old uh, Z1000," and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute," and I was like, "Yeah, that's a friggin'." 2019 bike bro so it's it's crazy enough to fool people that haven't seen one in a long time so kawasaki all the way from the z125 to their very robust uh quads side by sides and uh dirt bikes and everything they're they're dominating the monster energy uh motocross series right now um they got the z900 and w800 vintage bikes all the way up to their h2 crazy hyper naked that you can also buy in uh touring package not to mention the venerable klr which you can't buy anymore but uh talk about a you know legendary pack mule uh that's why kawasaki is on the top of my list for this week uh and for this show 230 and if you get a chance go check out their cool klx 230 it is pretty sweet for the little bike that it is um, all right, everybody, we're getting close to the end here. We're going to take a very quick break. If you disagree with any of the bikes on my list or you think I missed one or you think I picked one in the wrong order, uh, pardon me, let me know. And if you say, hey, uh, somebody else has um, 
like I, I didn't really mention that Kawasaki has watercraft and the jet ski. It's much like these, like a jacuzzi. If you say you got into a jacuzzi, if it wasn't a jacuzzi, you really meant you got into a spa. Kawasaki owns the name jet ski. Like a jet ski is a Kawasaki vehicle. If you were on somebody else's vehicle, you were on a personal watercraft. So like that's how deep the Kawasaki uh, lineup goes. I doubt Kawasaki will ever go out of business. And they are also getting into electric motorcycles themselves. They announced it a couple years ago, and it's been hitting the newspapers again and the websites again this year. So they are getting serious about it. And uh, yeah, so if you think I put Kawasaki at the top for all the wrong reasons, let me know. And we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Tired of hanging out in the garage with buddies and not knowing what they're talking about? Do you have inferior knowledge of carburetors or electrical systems? What about grilling beef, guns, or other manly things? Now RP Enterprises has you covered. Introducing Mantriloquist. Mantriloquist is a monthly subscription service that puts an expert right in your head. The next time you're in the garage throwing back some suds with your buds and the conversation takes a turn into uncharted waters, just text pound 33976 on your cell phone and wait for the magic to happen. The experts in our call center are available 24 hours a day. They spring into action via our patented two-way earpiece. They'll listen in on your conversations to make sure you don't sound like the village idiot in front of your friends. Our discreet communications protocol means that your pals won't hear a thing except for you delivering all the right answers. Now, you don't have to be afraid to join the conversation when topics come up like fuel pumps, inverters, clitoris, drywall, sniper rifles, and so much more. Mandriloquist will put you back in the game instead of holding your purse in the corner. So, man up with Mandriloquist. Requires a three-month minimum subscription. Not available for women. They generally don't care or are not afraid to ask questions. Not available in Guam or Burkina Faso. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Money back guaranteed. Call now to order. everybody welcome back to another episode of creative writing uh the end uh we're gonna probably skip the off track and junkies tips and upcoming events sturgis just ended i don't know what could be coming up it's going on two hours i've almost done this show live because everything else was ruined and i couldn't tell you what i did on the last one but uh i did want to say off topic uh really quick I mentioned earlier in this episode that I was a, I like conservation. I like the way things work. Um, and I did want to say that, uh, it just, I listened to a podcast on a guy that got fined for shooting whooping cranes in Louisiana recently. And I just want to mention, yeah, like the, the way things used to be would be pretty amazing. Whooping cranes, by the way, like the, uh, I think there's like a hundred of them in the world. <laughs> They are extremely endangered, and some dude blasted two of them uh, with with his son or nephew or something. And it reminded me of like what the world would look like had we uh, not decimated the uh, bison and buffalo. How riding through Sturgis would have been a lot different, and there would have been a lot of different things: the carrier pigeons that we killed, like a lot of things we kill uh, in this world and become extinct, partially because of us, partially not, but mostly because of us in one way or another, whether we mean it or not, uh, whooping cranes almost died because of, uh, 
habitat destruction, which a lot of animals uh, really go the way of and get displaced a lot of times too, even coyotes and stuff like that. When you see them running through your city, hell, a few weeks ago there was a mountain lion trapped under a house up here, and it's like it didn't really have anywhere else to go, especially with the fires going on. I'm sure there's a bunch of deer and bear and mountain lions running down toward me at this very moment. If my security light comes on, tow bar going to – oh, yeah, tow bar's melted – uh, I'm just, I'm going to get eaten. But uh, yeah, it just made me think, it made me wrapping back to the beginning of the show, uh, recycle, re- conserve, don't dump out where you ride. Uh, just be good. That's my off track and junkies top tip all in one. And uh, as far as upcoming events, we don't really have any. So this is going to be this week's outro. Please uh, leave us a message on number which is 740-563-2858 you can always email us podcast at gmail.com let us know how we did uh and by the way i like paul bribifer he i put in our little patreon thing that cool dinks uh, dual income two kids no d-i-t-k and he said no we're dicks dual income a couple of kids and I'm like, yeah that, that, that describes me total dick uh, but anyway, you can leave co- cool feedback like that uh, by emailing creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page and just hit the send email button. You can always check us out on Instagram at creativewritingpodcast, also on Twitter at creative underscore writer. Um, check us out on the web at creative-writing.com, although I've barely been putting any episodes up there and I've been super busy and if technical stuff like tonight keeps happening, I'm not going to have time to post up there a whole lot. So I will try to be better with Spooky Spokes coming up um, and I will try to get our patron stuff out ASAP. Who knows what's going to happen with the post office going away because I can't. I don't know if I how many times I've brought this up because I already talked about it at the beginning of the show that got erased. But uh, when I tried to ship stuff through UPS, it was like quadruple the amount of the post office. And the post office, just like the military, was written in the Constitution, which I know last week I said I would have really liked to burn. But I meant, I guess I would like to take the best parts of it and burn the rest. And, uh, you know, one of those things I think, like a like a post office, is a pretty good service to have, and uh, your taxes to go for, so that things don't have to cost you eight thousand dollars to ship them. Um, at any rate, take it easy, and uh, I will talk to you next week. My call to action is going to be: Hey, take a picture of your bike and leave it on our Cobra group on our Facebook page. Just look for Cobra. It's the uh, Creative Online Riders. Cobra Creative Online Bike Bikers, Riders, and Artists or something like that. And if you want, check out our Discord. I haven't been on that since I got back from vacation. Uh, so I'll go and check our Discord and see what's been happening there this week. Um, that is uh, Friends, Artists, Riders, and Throttle Junkies, also known as Fart. Or you can become a patron and get a link to our patron-only page, which I will try to check both this week. So that's this week's call to action. Leave us a review if you can, interact if you can, and as usual, uh, peace and breeze, baby. Have a good one. Bye!